It's been a little while since I put up a new podcast and I was like, well, how do I kick off the series again? How do I get people listening? Well, let's talk to some people who I think have lots to say, but lots of people want to hear from as well. And so in this case, I got a chance to speak with Sir Ashley Bloomfield, the former Director General of Health for New Zealand, who guided us through the pandemic, uh, as well as Professor Stacey Wood, who is the Langdon Distinguished Professor of Marketing at North Carolina State University, is currently visiting UC at the moment as an Erskine Fellow. Um, so most people will know of Sir Ashley and the work he has done, but maybe not everyone knows why he got into this space or how he got into this space or the sorts of things he brought into his attitude or presence as the Director General and how hard it was for him sometimes to navigate that health space as well as media space as well as political space. So we talk a lot about his leadership style and the sort of things that he engages with and engaged with on a day-to-day basis as well as what's coming on in the future for him. Uh, And some of you won't have heard of Professor Stacey Wood. Now, Professor Stacey is a dear friend of mine for many years and uh, her whole career has been around the innovation of change and understanding how people change or adopt new behaviours. And in the last six years, she's applied this in the health space, very much trying to understand how people make medical decisions, how we can encourage positive medical decisions, and then suddenly a pandemic arises. She tells the story much better than I do, but she is quite surprised that her career kind of lifted off as a result of a global pandemic, which for many, many people was a devastating time. But to see that interaction between academia and uh, an actual practice to the extent that the White House were contacting her and asking for her opinion on things shows how impactful marketing academics marketing can be in these spaces so anyway fascinating talk people i will continue to talk with over the years i know and can't wait to hear what is up next hopefully enjoy the quarter all i had with them well koto it is my pleasure to come back to you and talk to a couple of very esteemed colleagues of mine uh, sir ashley bloomfield the former director general of health for new zealand most of you will know him and uh, Stacey Wood, who is the Langdon Distinguished Professor of Marketing at North Carolina State University, who is visiting UC at the moment as an Erskine visitor. Uh, we thought we'd come together and have a really quick chat about a range of things. Stacey does a lot of research in health space, and obviously uh, Ashley has been a, a regular person on our screens and in our minds over the pandemic, and how you navigated that space, and now moving into a new role with the University of Auckland. And so we're just going to have a little chat about what their experiences are, what we can learn from the last couple of years of the pandemic, but also what we can learn as leaders going forward. So I always like to start with a little bit of Fuck for Nongentanga. So I wonder, Sir Ashley, if you want to introduce yourself and maybe tell us a little bit about what has brought you to this point, what draw you to health in particular and, and the role in health that you have taken over your career. Well, thanks, Ekan, uh, for the very kind introduction. And uh, kia ora koutou katoa to everyone. This is not a COVID-19 announcement. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, I left, left school with this ambition of uh, be- becoming a doctor and studying medicine, which I did, and I really uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, uh, and then I decided a few years into my clinical work to specialise in public health. And sort of on a whim, I, I thought I need to get a little bit of experience in the public service, mm-hmm. in the policy space. So... Mm-hmm. 25, 26 years ago, I moved to Wellington for six months and I'm still there, living in Wellington. <laughs> but I found that, that nexus between the, uh, public health and the public service just mm. really was my place. And 
I, I really found uh, the public service in particular got under my skin. So ended up staying in public service type roles a year in uh, Geneva at the World Health Organization, which was very rich. Uh, and then after actually a, a critical moment in my career was missing out on a job. Now, I, I don't know, you know if you've ever, ever had this, but I applied for a role that I didn't get. And interestingly, it was a role I had been acting in for quite some time. Uh, and it didn't feel great at the time, mm. but just a couple of days later, a phone call and an opportunity came up. And it was actually that opportunity that led me in, on the trajectory of becoming a, a district health board chief executive sure. and really advancing my executive leadership career. And then uh, a few years later, back in uh, 2018, becoming the director general of health. And Stacey, I know you're, uh, we've been colleagues for a number of years and as a visitor here, I've mm -hmm. got to know a little bit more about the sort of your career trajectory, but starting off in innovation and understanding consumer change, and now more into the health decision making. Tell us a little bit more about what drew you to marketing in the first place, and then uh, where you are now. Well, it's uh, it's definitely been an interesting road because uh, as the daughter of an engineer and a nurse, uh, they hoped that I would become a, a medical doctor, um, and so becoming a PhD in marketing was maybe not what they hoped for. Um, and yet, early on, I started studying uh, innovation. And so I really look at the psychology of innovation. What, is, uh, what are the things that help facilitate change, help uh, make for successful change? And I've done that over the last 20 years, a lot uh, in high technology. Uh, and then about six years ago, I met Dr. Kevin Schulman, who was at Duke University at the time, has since moved to Stanford. And he thought that the next greatest innovation was going to be in healthcare. And he uh, wanted to try and work together on issues that were all about um, innovating uh, in that healthcare and digital healthcare space. Uh, and that was a few years before then a pandemic struck. And so I found that uh, my work on getting people to do new things uh, in healthcare was a really valuable skill set. So I've uh, uh, been working with a lot of uh, institutions and organizations in the US, mm. um, looking at everything from social distancing to mask wearing, to vaccines, to boosters, um, and, uh, and and preparation for uh, kind of what's next on the health sector. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder if we can jump into that then. Th I grew up in a medical family. My dad's a real doctor. My older brother's mm -hmm. a real doctor. PhD means phony doctor, according <laughs> to my mom. Um, but um, that tension, I grew up in this household where my dad would constantly say, I hate administrators at hospitals. Mm. They're always trying mm. to slow me <coughs> down. Rather, but you were talking about that that relationship between health and service as well. I mean, how do you how do you navigate that tension between being a health professional, but also trying to take the leadership role of trying to make sure everyone is supported in the health mm -hmm. system? A couple of reflections on this. First of all, uh, in in thinking back, particularly to my time as a district health board mm. senior executive and then a chief executive. Um, and th those are not roles for the faint-hearted. <laughs> uh, but you know, where, where I felt things worked best was when you had this really strong partnership. We talk about sort of the, the clinician-patient mm. partnership, but that partnership between the clinicians and really good um, executive mm. managers, uh, because the latter can bring to bear a, a lot of support and resource that absolutely um, makes the role of the clinicians so much uh, more, f more enjoyable and actually better. And, and especially in terms of innovation, you know, clinicians are always full of ideas about mm -hmm. how things mm -hmm. could be done better. Uh, but for the lack of someone with, you know, with a bit of project management around them, sure. um, mm -hmm. some actual ability to get resource 
quick decisions around applying resource. And when I took over as the chief executive, interestingly, at Hutt Valley DHB, there had been a falling out between the chair and the chief mm. executive. And it's amazing how quickly organisations can go into free fall in that sort of situation. Mm. And so, uh, you know, and the key thing was decisions had had stopped, decision making had stopped. Mm. And I can remember getting there and the, and the senior clinician saying to me, you know, can you just make decisions? We don't mind if the answer's no, <laughs> we'll be grumpy, <laughs> but it's, it's about, you know, it's running hot and cold is the <laughs> worst thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the role of, of really good executive leaders and managers and, and good decision making and supporting great clinical care is just fundamental really to mm. a well-functioning organisation, healthcare organisation mm -hmm. and healthcare that's system. So that's, it's, that, that's the sort of uh, part of the, of the system that I really enjoy. Sure. Yeah. And we were talking about this mm -hmm. just at coffee earlier, just that the importance of building that level of trust, building that connection, building that humanization aspect and you were talking mm -hmm. about Mohammed Bapate's work as well and trying to um, express that I mean building that level of trust though in order to engage an entire nation or in the case of a pandemic an entire world that's got to be difficult right yeah uh, building trust in innovation is a critical key and it's interesting to see that the administrative trust flows through mm -hmm. the clinical care provider mm -hmm. so it's as if the executive building trust with the service provider then benefits the end recipient of the patient and their outcomes because that, um, that physician, that caregiver, sees what trust is and can then um, build upon that. So I think that's really critical, but there are so many ways that um, that personal interaction between physician and patient is whittled down in today's healthcare environment. Mm -hmm. You know, with 15 minute appointments and mm -hmm. only seeing people when you're really deathly ill, you don't really have that time and so you've got to look for many ways um, in an augmented environment, uh, everything from texts that your caregiver might send you to things you might see on their social media mm -hmm. to try and build up that sense mm -hmm. of, I know who this person is. That level of connection. Mm -hmm. And the, the 1 p.m. stand-ups are gonna, gonna stay mm -hmm. in our minds, I think, as New Zealanders. As, and you were saying you started those like two months before we really came into lockdown in, in January sort of time. And, what sort of preparation did you have for these? I mean, I don't know if this is something you put on your CV, really good at facing the nation every day for three years or whatever it was. Yeah, well, I sort of joked when the pandemic came along and, and well, I've talked openly about the, the waking up at three in the morning in a cold sweat for weeks, mm. thinking, you know, why me? I've only got a five-year contract, you know? <laughs> why is the one, one in 100 year pandemic happening on my right watch? Now. I did not read the fine print here. Uh, I had done, uh, in fact, earlier in my career, before the rise and rise of the political advisor mm. and the much tighter control by ministers and, and governments mm -hmm. of the whole communications and media interface, as, as technical specialists, we used to, do, used to front quite a bit of media. And so mm -hmm. I had done some media, uh, you know, sort of fronted media issues mm -hmm. earlier in my career and then as a DHB chief executive. So I was comfortable and familiar with that context. I hadn't anticipated I was going to be doing it every single day, you know, alongside the Prime Minister for long periods or, or alongside a minister. But like most things, like any, any skill, including leadership skills, mm. uh, the more you do them, mm -hmm. and if you reflect and, and are open to feedback, of course, mm -hmm. it's like a muscle. You can, you, can develop a, that, that, um, you can develop the skill, you can develop the fitness, mm -hmm. as it were. So sure. for me, it was just a matter of really uh, you know, starting out 
And, and here was the most important thing. I came back about two weeks into the, uh, two or three weeks into the, doing this daily stand-ups. Before that, they were just becoming a bit of a thing. Mm -hmm. And the staff in my office were looking at uh, an online media post or a social media mm -hmm. post, and which was sort of making a bit of a fuss about it. And they laughed and they said, oh, look at this. And they said, we don't get it. We just see you up there every day being yourself. And mm -hmm. I said, tell me if that changes. Yeah. Because this was the most important thing mm -hmm. from, I didn't know, on, when I did the first one, what was going to play out. But all I could do was get up and be myself. And part of that was being really honest about what we didn't know as much as what we did know. Yeah. And here's the thing, I think that was fundamental to building trust. Mm -hmm. People are quite, people don't expect you to have all the answers. That's and it's right. the same as a clinician. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you think we think we've mm -hmm. got to have all the answers. And when you're a chief executive, mm. well, you think I, the only reason I've got here is because mm -hmm. I've got to know <laughs> what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But actually, when you go, I'm sorry we don't know what, I don't have that information but I'll come back. Okay. Or I've changed my mind because I've got better evidence. Mm -hmm. People go, that, that doesn't undermine trust, it actually builds trust. Builds yes. trust. Yeah. And that humanization aspect, mm -hmm. you know, that makes you more human, it makes you more relatable. And the fact that you and the Prime Minister were both so visible so often, or it might have been your deputy mm -hmm. or the deputy Prime Minister, so visible, I think did play a lot into hopefully bringing the nation together. You were talking about it was pretty much the only show in town for a while, so you had a captive audience. Um, were, there, were there ways in which you kind of thought, this is a real opportunity, kind of maybe slip in another message that could help and stuff like that? Or was it very focused uh, the whole time on, on, on the core messages? Look, it was, it was very focused. However, you know, I, I couldn't, for me, the fact that I come from a public health background, mm -hmm. and in fact, my, my, my background and my professional uh, expertise area is in non-communicable diseases. Mm -hmm. not, not necessarily <laughs> that helpful when a, when a global communicable disease pandemic happens. The principles are the same, particularly mm -hmm. in epidemiology. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and this goes to the heart mm -hmm. of your work, mm -hmm. is it was we were asking people to behave in certain ways that were completely at odds with, mm -hmm. you know, they're completely sure. foreign, they were new, novel mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it was actually that the fundamental principles were the same and often we were asking people to do things that weren't necessarily just about the, the response to the virus. Mm -hmm. They were just, they were about looking at, you know, we we're asking people to look after look each after other. Each and, other I, yeah. and I often talk about the, the call to action, which was, I think, developed by the comms team. Mm -hmm. I suspect the Prime Minister had some input into it, but this this tripartite call to action, mm -hmm. stay home, save lives, be kind. Be kind. Mm -hmm. It's a very different message from stay home, save lives, and look after yourselves. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. saying stay save home, life. save lives, <laughs> and look after each other. Mm -hmm. And it was, so, so there's nothing public health or medical or anything mm -hmm. about that, but it's mm -hmm. still a call to action and one that I think inspired a lot of people to, mm -hmm. to do exactly what we needed them to do, mm -hmm. actually uh, act collectively in each other's interest. And it seems too like that you guys saw something that we did in the U.S., which was there was there were a lot of upsides to the pandemic in terms of creativity and coming together, and um, there was a, an openness in the midst of upheaval to saying, well, let's just give it a go. This isn't going to be perfect, yeah. or we don't know 100% whether this will work out, but this seems like the best way. We're going to go in this direction, and we found that a lot of um, areas, both in healthcare and just in other sectors, um, the arts. Um, schooling, you know, our mm. school teachers got very creative. Yep. But it was mm. it was that sense of um, we have a time when we need to pull together and be kind, be creative, and everyone just gave each other a break a little bit, right? Mm. This might not be perfect. Yeah. We might not know exactly. 
the full story, mm -hmm. um, but this is what we're going to work with. And I wonder if it's something uniquely Kiwi or if it's we have history, especially in the city, with regards to some tragedies that we've had over the last 10, 15 years. Um, but we, we know how to come together when we need to. You know, when we like, mm -hmm. all right, we understand what's going on. Let's get through mm -hmm. and do it. The actual um, adherence to what was required and the trust maybe in the, the messages being presented and by whom they were mm -hmm. um, being presented could have helped in this sort of space. I mean, do you feel that that's, that's a big part of this or were there other factors? I mean, uh, I know whenever I go online and people say, well, of course you are safe. You're an island nation on the end of the earth. You can shut the borders pretty quickly. I'm like, there's lots of violence around the world. Mm -hmm. They just yeah. made different choices. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think really helped New Zealand in particular adhere to the messages or, or come together? Are there mm -hmm. things that we can translate into future campaigns or future changes that we want to bring, especially in the health space? Yeah. Two things. First of all, and we, we can't deny this, people were frightened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and fear is quite a, a strong spur to action. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, everyone was anxious. We didn't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. We could see what was playing out in the UK where many Kiwis have family, friends, sure. colleagues. Mm -hmm. They might have spent some time there themselves. And we could see a health system from being overwhelmed. And you know, this is one of the one of the groups that's most appreciative of what we did here were, were health professionals because mm -hmm. as one described to me they said all we could see was this long dark tunnel ahead of us mm -hmm. and no way of avoiding it but we did mm -hmm. uh, so so I think the fear was was part of it and so people were receptive but secondly and, and maybe this is as much a, a a personal view as, as it is, but, but I think it was borne out as, I don't think there was anything uniquely Kiwi about it. I mean, some people say, oh, we, well, Kiwis are, are sort of, you know, much more compliant than others. No, <laughs> no, not. Um, actually, but I'm a, I'm a, have been for quite some time a great fan of this idea that actually, contrary to some of the research done in esteemed um, mm -hmm. uh, universities in the US, that humans in, in the 60s and 70s, that humans purportedly demonstrating humans are fundamentally, mm. you know, not good, <laughs> bad, and, and that kindness and doing good are exceptions. Mm -hmm. Actually, you'll be familiar with some of the more recent work. So mm -hmm. Dutch author Rutger Bregman mm -hmm. has written a lovely book, Humankind, A Hopeful History, mm -hmm. um, that actually what, that's what distinguishes humans from other mm -hmm. species and has been fundamental to our, our development and survival as a species mm. was our ability to cooperate with that's each other. And so actually when the invitation to collective action was extended. Mm -hmm. Best definition of leadership I know, it's an invitation to collective action. Mm. Be kind. Mm -hmm. It actually played to the, you know, a fundamental human, in, in, uh, well, something that's evolved yep. for mm -hmm. us as a species. And so people then thought, okay, it's fine, I can do that. I can ring my elderly neighbor, I can check with such and such if they need us to do something for them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a rewarding behaviour. Yeah. It is. It is a very rewarding mm -hmm. behaviour doing things yeah. for other people. And I think we saw that playing out. Yeah, I mean, the five ways to wellbeing um, talks about this. Give is a key part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just giving things, it is giving time, giving mm -hmm. energy, giving space. To be a little bit controversial, though, that works really well in the midst of it early on in particular, but as time goes on, when people get tired, when they're like, I don't see the end of the tunnel, uh, it can start to grate. It can start to get get people up a little bit. Uh, and and we did see more of the online chatter, a particular mm -hmm. set of Jacinda says, be kind one more time. I'm going to lose it mm -hmm. because I don't feel like being kind mm -hmm. right now. And I think we have to be reflective as well about how long this had gone on and how amazingly everyone has done, despite the, the mm -hmm. difficulties there. 
Um, I wondered, uh, Stacey, just from your own work as well, if you wanted to express a little bit with regards to some of the key takeaways you're finding with regards to driving change, especially in the health sort of space. Well, I think one of the key things that I learned over the arc of the pandemic was that it's really important to think about different subpopulations differently. Mm -hmm. Like uh, we've talked about in the past, there's no one message that you can give in a health, mm. health sector that's going to be meaningful, mm -hmm. um, unless it's at an incredibly abstract level, like be kind, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's something we can all do and it's good for everybody. But um, there were too many times where people felt unseen um, with a one size fits all message. So mm. in the US, we struggled with um, uh, pregnant women. We're not sure whether the vaccine was safe for them and because the message was, yep, everyone, everyone just get it, get the, get the vaccine they didn't feel like that quite saw the uniqueness of their own current situation, um, people with chronic illnesses, people. And so I, th I think that we need to be a little bit better about understanding the differences mm. in why is someone not acting in the way that we're hoping mm. um, and find out what is that one hurdle for them and address it specifically for that population. So that idea of segmentation in healthcare communications is, um, is really important. You know, the, 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 it's, we're not gonna have that nice one big poster, you know, uh, keep calm and carry on. There's, mm. like, there's got mm. to be something a little bit more targeted. Um, and then the other part was just that um, as clinicians and working with um, doctors and organizations, um, they had such a logical view of it. For them, there was a right answer. And uh, for them to step back and think a little bit more about why people were not getting mm. vaccinated and what reasons might be, you know, valid, not valid, or at least something they could empathize with was a key factor. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, in many ways, uh, as Sir Ashley mentioned, there was uh, a need to change your message and change information over time. Mm -hmm. And yet we don't really have very good narratives of how information changes. Mm -hmm. We expect to be right in the beginning, and if you change, that means that what is happening yeah. is you are, uh, in the U.S., we call it flip-flopping. Yep. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. You were wrong the first time. And so um, part of it was, part of my research looked at how you could um, take information that was trending down, it was looking worse and worse and worse, and see that people reacted much more negatively than if you told them the most horrific news right up front. Mm -hmm. um, there was something about that trend that was worrying in and of itself. So I think for the next go-around, thinking more about how we can um, pull in narratives of change that say, here's what we know now, here's our best information now, this is likely to change, let me prep you to know that there are going to be shifts in our policy, mm. um, is going to be important. And I think that comes from trust in scientific process as well. I, yes. I saw mm -hmm. a few messages going out saying, no, the fact that we've changed our decision mm -hmm. shows that science is working, because now we know more. We have mm -hmm. different ideas. It's not that we were wrong before, it's that that was the best decision based on the information mm -hmm. we had. Mm -hmm it is difficult to get a mass population behind that if they mm -hmm. feel like the, 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 the goalposts are changing, I guess. Yeah, this is a really important mm -hmm. point, and it depends. Who, it also depends a lot on who's giving the message. And yeah. I think mm -hmm. one of the advantages we had here was that our, you know, our media stand-ups <laughs> started with, with myself and the Director of Public Health, Dr Caroline McElnay. Mm -hmm. So we were there, we, we are not politicians, so as we were saying earlier on, actually the answers to most of the questions <laughs> in the first stand-ups were, we don't know. <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Yeah. Actually, mm -hmm. people, I, I think people don't expect us to have all the answers. It's mm -hmm. a really important point. The second mm -hmm. is, 
been able to say we've changed our mind and the classic one for us was the adv advice on masks sure. mm -hmm. and the WHO for a long time pers persisted with the advice in retrospect it's easy to go back and say oh why did we do that well yeah. actually because we thought that the, the mechanism of, of transmission was going to be droplet spread sure. that mm -hmm. was a best guess based on mm -hmm. first principles mm -hmm. flu virus but actually it transpired it was aerosol spread mm -hmm. so the advice from the WHO around masks didn't change for a year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we did have to change it, change it, well, yep, sure, the media roasted us. Mm -hmm. But the answer was, we've got better evidence and we want mm -hmm. people to know what that evidence is and to be able to use the, use the you know, to be able to all benefit from that mm -hmm. evidence. Mm -hmm. the, the point is for politicians is that there's no mileage for them in saying, I don't know mm -hmm. to a question or I've changed my mind, let alone we got that wrong. Yes. Yeah. And now I had to do the latter quite a few times, sure. and I joke about the fact that on those days I'd be flying solo at the podium. <laughs> I guess Dr. Bloomfield will be giving the update today, you know. Uh, and so, so there's first that, um, yeah, this didn't go right. So, uh, sorry, we could have, should have done better. Yeah. Then we have a challenge with the media, where, mm -hmm. every, where they, they mm -hmm. love to use their favourite F-bomb, yeah. failure. Mm -hmm. So everything that doesn't go 100% perfectly, mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's a one in 100 year pandemic, is yeah. a failure. And I, I, I took this approach on this, and I, I found it really helpful to share because it relates to clinical, clinical practice as well. Actually, the, it, things won't go 100% perfectly. We won't always get it right. The mm -hmm. only failure is if we fail to review mm -hmm. and learn and adjust. Mm -hmm. If we don't do that, call mm -hmm. me on it, mm -hmm. but we're not going to get it right 100% of the yeah. time. And call me on it if I change who I am on the podium. That's the other thing. <laughs> yes. um, I used to finish these interviews by asking people, you know, what's breaking your heart? Because maybe there's a solution that exists that maybe we can collaborate on. And it just got really depressing, and I've stopped asking that question now. So I, I want to finish maybe with you first, Stacey, and then with you, Ashley. What gives you hope in this space? What gives you hope in this medical decision-making? What gives you hope in the public health space, especially with your new institute that you're, you're, you're looking to, to ramp up quickly? What gives you hope? I think talking to healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, uh, clinicians, they are such sincere and driven people. And uh, I feel like the new information that we bring them on choice and decision-making is something they embrace. The things that will be good about telehealth, they'll mm -hmm. learn to embrace. Um, healthcare is arcing towards accessibility more and more, and mm -hmm. that is something that gives me a lot of hope. I think there was so much positive that we can take out of the response to the pandemic, in mm -hmm. New Zealand in particular, but elsewhere as well. And mm -hmm. in particular, that the response of citizens when, when, they, when they trusted the message and the messenger and the fact that they did actually look after each other. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, as I say, you can't police <laughs> a lockdown. Yes. It relied on just about everybody just doing the right thing and not just staying at home but looking after each other. Mm -hmm. And I guess it shows what can be achieved if we if mm -hmm. you extend the call to collective action in a sure. way that people want to embrace it. They accept the invitation and then of course the corollary of leadership is teamwork. <laughs> and and that's when stuff gets done and, and so it gives me great hope for I guess our country but also globally and if we've got some as every generation has, we've got some mm -hmm. huge challenges that mm -hmm. we, we need to face up to, not least you know, environmental mm -hmm. degradation and climate change. But it, it's within our grasp. Mm -hmm. We've shown that actually if we do act collectively, we can, can do, that, do something really great. And, and likewise for the health system, I think there was some, and for clinicians, there was some 
things they had to change overnight mm -hmm. and yes. uh, the extension of the use of tele telehealth mm -hmm. Which would have taken, you know, we, we achieved in one yep. month. In fact, in a week, what would have taken 10 years. Yes. You know, general practice went 70% mm -hmm. um, online overnight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my hope is, and, and I think it's, it's not, it will be a, a reasonable hope, is that mm -hmm. that will be embraced and amplified. And I think that the real potential here is to unleash the largest health workforce out there, yeah. which is individual people and their mm -hmm. whānau and families, because... Mm -hmm. They're the ones who do, do deliver day in day out most healthcare, mm -hmm. and I, and I have a sense that maybe maybe our health professionals saw that through the pandemic. Well, kia ora koro. I really appreciate the time just to share the research, share the experience, share the knowledge, share the things that we have reflected on and learned from this. And we know that this is not the end. You know, if it's not a pandemic, it'll be something else. There will be other things that we need to start to think about. Where understanding humans, understanding behavior, understanding communities, understanding how we operate together is going to be important to maybe not just our survival, but our thrival, I guess, as a, as a country and as a nation and as a, as a world. So really appreciate the service that you both put into this space. Appreciate the time to kōrero with us. And um, I guess a big kaki te anoa namihinui to you. And thank you very much.